Hello, residents. My name is Mike Estefan. I'm joined today by Maddie Watts, and thank you for downloading this month's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Pearson Ravitz Insurance, my personal independent disability insurance agent. We will talk more about Pearson Ravitz later in the episode. So last month, we took a bit of a hiatus from the game, but now we're back and ready to rumble. As stated in our previous episode, we are seeking case ideas from our listeners. It's not like we're running dry on case ideas. Trust me, we have plenty. We just want to get our listeners involved a bit more. If we choose your idea, we'll give you a quick shout out on the podcast. My email is mike at emclerkship.com, and you can send those ideas my way at any time. Maddie, how are you doing? I'm good. How about you? I'm doing well. Are you ready for today's case? I've heard you've been quite busy the past month or so. Yeah, Um, I've been on trauma and then have had a single day off that I've made the best of, but uh, my brain is a little fried, so this this might be the one that you get me. (laughs) All right, I'm sure you'll do fine. (laughs) We we only have, what, four more cases with you as an intern? I guess starting in July, we're really going to have to step up the difficulty, but you're doing great so far. Yeah, wow, that's wild to think about that it's four months away. Yeah, time flies, right? Anyways, without further ado, let's get into it. Today is round number seven of the game. Maddie will need to perform today's case in real ABEM or a boards format. She has 15 minutes to complete the full case. She does not know what this case is ahead of time. If Maddie hits all of the critical actions that I have listed out beforehand, she wins. If she doesn't, or if she performs a dangerous action, I win. These cases were created by me and Zach. They are not derived from actual ABEM cases that I had, and they are not real patients. Maddie, take out a piece of paper and a pencil. Place the paper sideways in front of you. Outline a human body on the left side of it, and let me know when you are ready. I'm ready to get started. All right. Dr. Watts, this will be a single patient encounter. You will have 15 minutes to complete the case. Before we begin, do you have any questions? Nope. All righty. Let me get my timer going. Okay. And the timer is started. Dr. Watts, you are working at Clerkship General when the nurse grabs you. Hey, we got a real sick one. 57-year-old male I just put in the resuscitation bay. He's vomiting blood. All right. So I walk into the room, and what do I see? Uh, You see an older gentleman, looks older than stated age, uh, actively vomiting blood, appears ill. Okay. Um, Is it bright red blood or more like dark blood? Uh, It's kind of hard to tell. Maybe a mix of both. Okay. Okay. is he able to talk at all, or he's completely vomiting? Uh, hi, are you the doctor? Yeah, I'm the doctor. Uh, before we get started, can I have some nurses start working on IV access? Ideally, I want two large bore peripheral IVs, and then let's get this patient on the monitor. Okay, we can do that. Uh, two large bore IVs replaced, and the patient is on the monitor. Okay, and um, was he brought in by EMS? Uh, no, he actually walked himself in. Okay. Um, let's get an opening set of vitals. Okay. Uh, vitals, blood pressure, 77 over 34, heart rate of 135, respiratory rate of 24, 
O2 saturation of 95% on room air, and a temperature of 98.8 Fahrenheit. All right. Um, let's go ahead and start a liter of LR on this patient since he's a hypotensive, and let's call for some um, blood. We can do the unmatched blood um, and get that to the room ASAP and start it once we get that here. Um, and then um, can I... I'll talk to the patient. Um, when did this start happening? Uh, before the patient answers that question, the nurse clarifies, how many units of blood do you want, Dr. Watts? Um, let's get two for now and go ahead and um, we may need MTP, so we can go ahead and have the blood blank prepare more. But if we can get two to start, that'd be great. Okay. You can talk to the patient now. Um, hi, sir. Um, I'm Dr. Watts. When did you start vomiting blood? Well, I've been sick for the last two days, vomiting. I thought it was just a really bad hangover. Okay. Have you ever vomited blood before? Not like this. Okay. But you have vomited some blood in the past? I mean, yeah. Hasn't everybody? <laughs> um. So this has happened multiple times to you? Yeah. Okay. Um. What medical problems do you have? I'm as healthy as can be. Um, all right. Well, you said you thought you might have a hangover. Do you drink alcohol daily or frequently? Hell yeah, I do. 12 pack a day. Bud Light. The, only the finest. Okay. Um, all right. Have you ever uh, been told you have any problems with your liver? No. Like I said, I'm as healthy as can be. Okay. Are you having any blood in your stool at all? Uh, I don't think so. What's that look like? So no bright red blood and no black sticky stools? Oh, maybe I have had some dark stools. Okay. All right. Um, are you having any abdominal pain right now? Only when I vomit. <clears throat> okay. Are you having any other symptoms besides the vomiting? No. Okay. Any fevers? No. Okay. Um, and you said you've been sick recently with just vomiting primarily? Yeah. Doc, what are you going to give me? Well, I am going to start by giving you some blood for um, how much blood you've lost and the fact that your blood pressure is low. Also, do we have any quantity of blood in the room that we see that he's already thrown up, like bags full, or can we estimate? It's uh, a good question. Uh, about half of one of those ER vomit bags is, is full of kind of maroonish blood. All right, and um, for him, I would like to go ahead and give ceftriaxone uh, two grams, or sorry, one gram, and um, if we could give some, some octreotide as well. I'm worried about possible uh, variceal bleeding given his alcohol history. Uh, how much octreotide would you like? Uh, that's a great question. Do we have an ED pharmacist handy today? <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, we typically do this bolus and a drip and we can give a, a 50, uh, actually the pharmacist has to look this up. I think it's 50 microgram bolus. It might be 50 milligrams. The pharmacist forgets and then okay. we can start, we can start a drip as well. Okay. Um, so the, I asked the patient again, does he have any medical history that he knows of? No. He's never been hospitalized for anything. No. He's never had surgery. Uh, I had my gallbladder removed when I was a kid. Okay. Does he take any medications? No. Does he have any allergies to medications? No. Okay. 
Other than alcohol, does he use any other drugs or smoke cigarettes, use tobacco products? I smoke. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I want to do a physical exam. Um, I'll start head to toe. Do I notice any scleral icterus? Uh, there is some scleral icterus present. Okay. Does he have any blood in the nares? No. Okay. Um, and then when I, I look in his mouth, um, any obvious sources of bleeding? Is there blood in his mouth, I assume? Uh, there's some dried blood. You see a little bit of bright red blood in the back, um, but no active hemorrhage. Okay. Um, and then I listen to his heart and lungs. Does that sound normal rhythm and clear? Normal. Okay. Um, is his abdomen distended at all? There is mild abdominal distension. Okay. Do I appreciate any fluid wave or ascites? There is a fluid wave. Okay. Is he tender at all to palpation of his abdomen? He is not tender. Okay. Um, And then his extremities, does he have um, well-perfused extremities? His extremities are cool, um, but not cyanotic. Okay. And any evidence of DVT in his lower extremities? Uh, What are you looking for? Um, Does he have erythema, swelling, warmth of either of his calves? He has swelling in both his lower extremities. Okay. Just like pitting edema? Correct. Okay. All right. Um, so we have two large bore IVs. We started some fluids. Have we started the blood yet? Uh, blood was started about a minute ago. We're running okay. it as fast as we can. Okay. For lab work, can we get a CMP, a CBC, a PTINR, um, He's hypotensive and tachycardic, so let's also get an EKG. Um, and then, let's see. Um, let's start with that, and we'll keep the blood running. Um, can we get a repeat set of vitals, especially a blood pressure? Uh, sure. So just to clarify, you wanted a CBC, a CMP, coags, and an EKG. Okay. Um, those are cooking. Um, repeat blood pressure. About half a unit has gone in. Uh, blood pressure is 91 over 48. Um, and what's the heart rate? Uh, heart rate 124. Um, okay. So for him, my differential, I think highest on my list just because of how dangerous it is would be variceal bleeding with his alcohol history he could um so esophageal varices or gastric varices he could have gastritis he could have peptic ulcer disease um it seems like it's uh both bright red and maroon um so but i'm thinking it's probably an upper gi source um can i also get a portable upright chest x-ray just to make sure he doesn't have any free air under the diaphragm to have uh, show that he's perforated. Sure. His uh, his upright chest x-ray is completely normal. All right. And his uh, his EKG just shows sinus tachycardia. There's no ischemia, no conduction abnormalities. Okay. All right. Um, sounds good. And I'm trying to think outside of just abdominal causes. So I thought about hemoptysis with um, like PE, but it doesn't sound like he... He is tachycardic and has a slightly lower SAT of 95, but he doesn't have any evidence of DVT, and I think that's lower likelihood. I also don't really want to send him to the scanner right now. Um, 
And doesn't seem like he has epistaxis or something else that could be mimicking this vomiting. Um, so we'll stick with the GI cause as the leading cause right now. Um, I also want to call GI and see if they can let them know that we have a pretty sick patient here. See if they can prepare for EGD because if we can get his blood pressure a little more stabilized, I think that's what he needs most. Okay. GI has been paged and your labs are coming back. Um, your CBC has a white count of six, a hemoglobin of 10.5, platelets of 150,000. His CMP, um, his electrolytes are all normal. Um, his bicarb is 20. His BUN is 75. His creatinine is 1.5. His glucose is 130. His AST is 350. ALT is 150. Total Billy is 2.5. They didn't fractionate it for you. And his albumin is 2.3 with a normal ALKFOS. Um, Coags, his PT was 25 seconds, which is elevated. His INR is 2.6. And his PTT was also elevated at 40 seconds. Okay. Okay. So... Those labs do seem consistent with, he's got an AST much greater than ALT. That seems consistent with alcoholic cirrhosis. He's got a prolonged INR, which is probably secondary to his liver failure. Um, His platelets, I think you said were 150? Correct. Okay. So I don't necessarily think he needs platelet transfusion right now. So we'll keep with the blood transfusion. I definitely want to give him the two units to start because um, his hemoglobin is 10, but he's probably going to be a lot lower than that with the ongoing bleeding. Um, is he still vomiting while we're in the room? Uh, yeah, he continues to vomit. Doc, aren't you going to give me something for this? Um, we can give him some Zofran uh, to start. Um, that may help. And then... How much, Doc? Uh, we can do four milligrams IV. Okay. Four milligrams IV Zofran has been given. And the first unit just finished. Repeat vitals. Blood pressure is 100 over 65. Heart rate down to 110. Okay. And then I forgot. Can we start IV pantoprazole, please? How much would you like? Um, oh, I think it's 20 uh, milligrams push. But then I think you can also do a drip. And I don't know how to titrate the, the drip. So... My pharmacist would be very helpful. (laughs) Or sorry, it's 40 IV and then a drip. Okay. So you want to push 40 IV? Yes. Okay. And then drip? Correct. Great. Okay. That has been started. I want to do that. And then I want to talk to GI to hopefully, um, now that his blood pressure is stabilizing, see if he can get to EGD sooner rather than later. Hi, this is GI. Hey, um, I have a, uh, I think he was 60-year-old gentleman who denies any past medical history, though says he drinks a 12-pack of beer a day and has had some episodes of hematemesis in the past. He's here today with um, ongoing hematemesis and was initially hypotensive, 70s over 30s when he got here. He is getting his second unit of blood and has had some improvement in his blood pressures Um He's now got, I think, systolics in the 90s, heart rates in the 110s. Um, he's got two large bore IVs, and we have um, given ceftriaxone, um, pantoprazole, and uh, octreotide. But he's still vomiting, and I'm worried about possibly a variceal cause of bleeding um, versus something like a peptic ulcer disease. So I'd really like for you guys to um, scope this 
gentlemen, sooner rather than later, see if we could intervene on any source of bleeding. Uh, yeah, geez, he sounds sick. It sounds like a variceal bleed. Um, yeah. Do, do you think you could just uh, put a Blakemore tube in and describe the procedure, please? Um, sure. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, I have... <laughs> Um, sure, Doc. Uh, we'll we'll see him. I, I assume you're going to admit this guy? Yes. Um, I need to call ICU after you guys. Okay, ICU accepts. That's the end of your case. Okay. At 1455. Woo! Yes, right <laughs> in the nick of time. Great. Okay. Before we go through how you did, let's talk about our sponsor for the month, Pearson Ravitz Insurance. Pearson Ravitz is my own personal disability insurance agent. If you are in residency, please stop and listen to me. With how busy you are, disability insurance is probably not at the front of your mind. It surely wasn't for me. But to put it plain and simple, shit happens when you least expect it to. And a lot of the time, it is completely out of your control. Let me tell you a short story. When I was a resident, I was actually an intern, I was running a bit late to one of my overnight ED shifts. And so instead of walking what would have been a 15-minute walk, I requested an Uber so I could get there on time. Within 15 seconds of me entering the Uber, while I was still putting my keys away into my backpack and before I was able to get my seatbelt on, we were T-boned by a car. That car ran a red light going 45 miles an hour, and I was thrown headfirst into the passenger window, not wearing a seatbelt. Without wearing my seatbelt, I was obviously injured. I suffered a concussion and was actually brought into my own ER almost as a trauma alert. Fortunately, I had no lasting injuries from this incident, but if I were not as lucky, I would have been screwed because I didn't have disability insurance at that time. I was fortunate enough to lock in a low rate as a resident, and now as an attending, my annual policy cost is less than 2% of my total salary. Please check out www.pearsonravits.com, and if you schedule a consultation, please be sure to mention EM Clerkship. Now, back to our show. Ooh, Maddie, you did great. How do you think you did? <laughs> um... I was kind of like waiting for the other shoe to drop. I was like, something's going to happen. Like he's going to drop his pressure again or he's going to code. I feel like that's how I always feel with the cases with you guys. <laughs> I was expecting the Blakemore or something like that. I was like, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> When's it coming? When's it coming? No. Yeah. No, I, you did good. Is there any anything you would have done differently? Anything you felt that you missed there? Um, yeah, I mean, I forgot to do the um, IV PPI earlier on, which definitely should be part of like your upfront management. Um, but I think I initially locked on with this guy probably drinks and this is probably an alcohol reason, but I tried to kind of peel back from that and think of a wider differential. So I think I did a pretty good job doing that. And it's so easy to get locked in on something um and I've done that so many times already in the intern year. So I was trying to like take a step back and think of what else could be going on. But I did. It was tough to think of, you know, what else I should be considering. Yeah, I I was really impressed, actually, at the way, you know, even though it was pretty obvious what was going on, you still considered other things, um, especially like the epistaxis. Like even as an attending, sometimes I find myself you know, anchoring on what I think it is initially and not, not necessarily looking for those other causes. So I think that was 
awesome. Um, I think you also did a really good job of not being falsely reassured by that hemoglobin, um, which is anemic, but uh, still within the realm of, you know, not, oh, shit. But as I'm sure you know, um, because you did this correctly, and for our listeners, in the setting of an active hemorrhage, uh, hemoglobin is not a reliable test. Um, It's probably, his hemoglobin was probably actually like six or seven with that blood pressure. Um, so that was really good. I like how you got two large bore IVs up front. That was excellent. Um, and yeah, overall you did great. Let's, let's talk about critical actions and I'll, as always, I find little areas that I can nitpick you. So I will. Um, but you hit all the, you hit all the critical actions. So the critical actions were place two large bore IVs, transfuse emergent uncross-matched blood, which you did a great job of administer ceftriaxone and octreotide, administer protonics or uh, uh, pantoprazole generics, um, and then consult GI. So you hit all of the critical actions. You did not perform a dangerous action. Um, and in this case, that would be trying to reverse his elevated INR. Um, so I think you did phenomenal. Uh, the couple of things, areas for improvement, so I know you gave him uncross-matched blood, but the type and screen is still going to be helpful because if this guy ended up, I think in real life, if this guy ended up needing an M- MTP, right, you're going to be mm-hmm. doing an MTP with uncross-matched blood because you haven't typed and crossed him, right? Um, yeah. So we hospitals don't have a ton of uncross-matched blood available. I mean, obviously you can, um, and you can start it off, but you always want to send that type and screen because as soon as he gets crossed for that, then they can stop giving the uncross-matched blood, which still has a big risk of a transfusion reaction. You know, it's it's own ne- yeah, that makes it's own negative or o positive in a, a male's case. Um, which should prevent the uh, the AVO incompatibility, but you can still have severe transfusion reactions and giving uncrossed matched blood is not without risk. Um, so yeah, actually that's, I haven't seen anyone have a transfusion reaction. I don't know if you've seen that in your career so far, but I think that would be something that would really panic me because obviously they're sick enough that I'm already giving them blood and then they start having a transfusion reaction, which makes them even sicker. That would be really scary. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially if they're, like, actively hemorrhaging. But um, I think, uh, you know, it depends on the clinical scenario. In this case, this guy would probably die without the blood. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. So that was one place I can nitpick you at. The other would be, um, like I said, prefacing this, you did a great job considering other differentials. But somebody who's hypotensive and tachycardic, I would get couple more labs usually um i i know up front you knew this was hemorrhagic shock but obviously septic shock is on the differential so blood cultures a lactate that kind of thing you know cms is going to ding you for not getting that lactate um even though yeah. you know you and i both know clinically it sometimes helps but does not all the time um and that was really all i had um just a, a couple teaching points and I'll go into this a little more on the deep dive, but do you know the one intervention in cirrhotic GI bleeds that actually improves outcomes that we do out of everything you did in this case? What's the one thing that matters? 
I think it's actually the ceftriaxone. Yeah. Because I remember being surprised by that. Yep. It's antibiotics. Antibiotics in cirrhotic GI bleeds are the the one thing that has been shown to improve outcomes. Great. Um, and then what do you think about that elevated INR? Yeah. So that was pretty elevated. Um, he probably is in pretty significant uh, liver failure if that's the case um yeah because he said he's not on any blood thinners yeah. or any medications not on any meds so what does that tell you clinically when his his inr is that high like do do you care does it change your management um so i know that his liver is not making any clotting factors and that his cirrhosis is pretty severe even though he didn't report a history of that but i actually i don't know what you were talking about with the not wanting to reverse it and yeah i, I actually don't know what that would do if you tried to give like uh ffp or something like that yeah so um in the setting of cirrhosis I, obviously when you get to the point when you're INR is elevated. Um, the reason that is is because the liver is damaged to the point where it's no longer able to perform its synthetic function. And the liver has a job of not only synthesizing clotting factors, but also endogenous anticoagulants. So stuff like antithrobin and protein C. Those are anticoagulants that are synthesized from the liver. So when people have cirrhosis to the point where their their synthetic liver function takes a hit the INR is only going to show you the lack of clotting factors that are produced but it's not going to show you the lack of endogenous anticoag factors that are produced uh, basically mm -hmm. long story short most people who are cirrhotic with an elevated INR are actually hypercoagulable not hypocoagulable um, and really the only way to figure this out is to get a tag, a thromboelastogram, which we are not doing in the ER. <laughs> That's more of a critical yeah. care thing. Um, but you cannot, the moral of the story is you cannot judge their coagulation status based on their INR one way or the other. Statistically, most are mm. going to be hypercoagulable, but um, it's essentially meaningless other than knowing their cirrhosis has progressed to that point and they could be hypo or hypercoagulable. But for us in the ER, it doesn't really change too much. Interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I was reading a couple of articles to prep for the case and it very interesting stuff. Um, anyways, aside from the case, uh, how tell us about your, your, your own trauma right now. How's that? How's that yeah. life going? It's good. I like trauma. Um, it's definitely, I mean, it's busy, but I feel like I'm learning a ton, especially I think working with our surgeons, it's so helpful because they actually get to see what happens to the patient after the trauma bay. Like they get to directly visualize their organs, what injuries they had. And um, just, we have some really awesome, really nice trauma surgeons here and like picking their brains about why they do what they do in the trauma bay because they've actually then seeing what happened to the patient afterwards has been very valuable, I think. Um, so no, it's been, it's been fun. It's been surprisingly busy for February. Um, I guess there's no time of year that people aren't doing crazy things. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's been good. Well, that's good. I remember trauma, intern year trauma was my busiest rotation of all of residency. 
I did not have a life. Um, and that was awful. Um, so I'm glad you're, yeah. I'm glad you're surviving. Have you gotten to do any chest tubes or any fun procedures on trauma yet? Yeah, I got to do, I've done, uh, three pigtail chest tubes. I haven't done any large bore, but that's been good so far. Um, and like I said, working with the surgeons and hearing kind of their tips and tricks has been great. Um, so yeah, it's been good. That is awesome. Um, well, I'm glad you're doing better than I did on my trauma rotation. At least it sounds like it. Um, putting in a surgical chest tube is really fun. I actually, we, where I work right now, we have surgery residents. So usually the ED docs just call the, the surgery residents if we have to put a large board chest tube in. Um, but it was a slow night and I haven't done a surgical chest tube in uh, it's been a while because I hit my numbers really early in residency, so I would give them away. Um, but I put one in for the first time in a while the other night, and they're, they are just so satisfying. I, you'll have to let me know when you get your first one because it's it's definitely yeah. something you can bond over. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, I have a funny story. My first chest tube of residency, uh, the patient was – just very happy and happy-go-lucky. And after the procedure happened, they turned to me and were like, was that your first one? They just seemed so like happy and curious. And so it just spit out of my mouth like, yeah. And they were like, you did a great job. And I was like, thanks, so did you. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> but it was like s- such a funny interaction. And I was like, I probably shouldn't have admitted that, but they didn't seem phased by it, surprisingly. And I was like, all right, cool. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for being my patient. <laughs> that's awesome. That That's great. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, nope, but it's been good. And then I go on to OB next. So the, the, these are like our more intense rotations of intern year um, hours wise other than ICU. So I am in the thick of it. <laughs> um, well, th- but there's a light at the end of the tunnel because then I get to go back to the department. That's what I was going to say, especially I don't know how your program works, but when we hit second year, our shift... Our, we went from 10s to 8s, which was huge. Um, and we had a shift reduction and blah, 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 blah. So it got a lot better for us. I don't know how it is for you. but Oh, that's nice. It, we do have some 8 and 9-hour shifts uh, second years, but still some 10s. And then I don't think we necessarily have much of a shift reduction. But gotcha. I still think just being back in the department is nice because it's like, you know. It's home. You're home. It's home. Where you know everybody. Yeah. Everyone's nice to you and you're nice to them and you know how everything goes and it's just, it's nice. I agree. All right. Well, I think that's probably enough time. We've been chatting a while. Um, Send us emails. My email is mike at emclerkship.com. And my email is maddie, M-A-D-D-I-E at emclerkship.com. And we would love to hear feedback and again send me don't send maddie send me case ideas because we need to figure out more (laughs) send them to me (laughs) and all of your notes with it please (laughs) (laughs) we need to figure out fun ways to torture maddie like having her describe how to place a blakemore tube that would have been a good one um that i that would have been a good one (laughs) (laughs) not as an intern maybe maybe when you're a third year we'll we'll bring that one back out but (laughs) Until the mid-month episode, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.